You're listening to the Q's Podcast, Episode 16. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Q's Podcast. If this is the first time you found us, welcome and thank you for joining us. We use this forum as a means to talk to credit union industry leaders and cross-industry experts for a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. I'm your host, James Lentz, Q's Professional Development Manager. In today's episode, we'll explore empowering board ethics and decision-making with Richard Powers. Richard is lead instructor for the Q's Governance Leadership Institute that takes place June 11th to the 14th of 2017 at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. The Financial Times ranked Joseph L. Rotman School of Management as the number one business school in Canada in 2016. GLI provides the opportunity to strengthen your contributions to your credit union as you learn to balance healthy debate and diversity with consensus building. It is open to executives, board chairs, and supervisory committee members. After receiving his MBA and LLB from Queen's University, Richard Powers' areas of expertise include corporate governance, ethics, business and corporate law, strategy, and sports marketing. A recipient of numerous teaching and student awards, including the Dean's Award for Excellence in Teaching at the Rotman School of Management. He is director of several not-for-profit organizations and frequently comments on legal and governance issues in various media across Canada. I had the chance to sit down with Richard at the recent Q's Directors Conference, where his keynote and breakout sessions were highly received by attendees. Some key takeaways from my interview with Richard include... The board has a duty to make sure that ethics are maintained throughout the organization and should be part of every CEO compensation plan. Identify factors that may break down robust decision-making and compromise objectivity by the board of directors. Here's my interview with Richard Powers. I'm with Richard Powers with the Rotman School of Management. Thank you for being a guest on the Q's podcast. Happy to be here, James. How can I help you today? I want to bring up some questions that I think are on the mind of a lot of our listeners. And I think the first question I want to start with is, how does a board ensure that proper ethics are maintained? Ethics, I think, is a, is, is a tricky one. Most boards would have an ethics policy, and what they, but it has to be a living policy. A piece of paper doesn't do anything. So what they have to do, I think, from a board's point of view is, Jack Welsh, legendary leader at General Electric, probably said it best, what you measure is what you'll get. So the board's relationship with the CEO has to have, in terms of their compensation, has to be tied to some kind of moral and ethical standards. And that has to permeate the entire organization. Where underlings or something don't perform well or, or engage in unethical conduct, the CEO has to wear that. So the CEO becomes the, the arbitrator, basically, of the ethical conduct within the organization. It has to start at the top. And that's what we call the tone at the top. The tone at the top really starts with the board, empowering the CEO to make sure that there's an ethics code and ethical business practices that are paramount within the organization. And you have to drive that ethical culture right down to the bottom lines. You know, if it's a credit union, all the way to the tellers. So this has to be one of the components that the CEO is, their performance is based on maintaining certain ethical standards within the organization. And the CEO has to wear that. You know, it's uh, it's incumbent on the board to make sure that the CEO, as part of the parameters or the key performance indicators, that ethics is part of that. If it isn't, why would it, why would management or why would the CEO worry about those types of things if they're if they're not being incented to to worry about those types of things? That's probably a more convoluted way of saying it. Let me let's just look at a case example. 
example, in terms of Wells Fargo, for instance, or even Volkswagen. In both cases there, the board and through the senior management set standards of performance that were impossible to reach. I think, and what they were doing is that's what they, they ended up incentivizing unethical behavior. In, in uh, Volkswagen, they put in that defeat device, which masked the true emissions that, were, that the vehicle was putting out. That was the only way they were going to sell that engine, is if, if they reduced or camouflaged the real emissions that were coming out. In Wells Fargo, you know, most of the clients had accounts added to their own accounts that they were totally unaware of. I think the number was an average of eight per, per customer, eight per client. And when asked, Mr. Stump, the CEO, said, well, eight rhymes with great. <laughs> it's kind of a silly reason to decide that eight. Where other financial institutions, I think the average is somewhere between two and three. And again, the unethical conduct there was that these accounts were being created for these people without their knowledge, and then they were being charged monthly fees to maintain these accounts. The surprising, surprising aspect of the Wells Fargo case is that the total profit earned on these unauthorized accounts was only $2.5 million. $2.5 million of an organization that earns billions of dollars in profits each year. It was minute. It was a drop in the bucket. And yet they felt that that type of activity was, was necessary in order to meet certain targets. Um, you know, those things just can't, can't happen. And the board, although we, we always talk about the board and maintaining a governance role, their job is not to get involved in operations, except in extreme situations, but they have to have some comfort that management has this under control. We had a very similar case, uh, well, similar but different in the United, in, sorry, in Canada with SNC-Lavalin, a worldwide engineering firm. These are big projects. They build, you know, huge uh, infrastructure projects. Uh, you know, the board, they were, a, a large majority of their work was coming from countries like Afghanistan and Iraq. Well, there's a group out there called Transparency International. Transparency International published what they call a corruption index, where they list the least corrupt countries in the world to the most corrupt. If the board had ever taken a look at that index, and it's very, it's, it's very well known, they would see that the contracts they were getting were coming from countries listed at 150 and below, some of the most corrupt countries in the world. Now, oh. the red flag should have gone off at that point. Right. How are we? How are we securing those contracts? Are we paying bribes? Are there improper payments being made? Which is exactly what was happening. It's easy to be critical in hindsight in all these companies. However, in today's environment, the board has to be on top of these things to the extent that they can. And they have to have some comfort that where they're not able to, that management has it under control. So I asked you, how does the board ensure proper ethics are maintained? And you just described, you know, kind of measuring that or aligning that uh, with their compensation. That's right. So based on that information and other information you and your team have gathered, what does it look like today? Is that something that is commonplace or is it something you don't see very much? No, no. It, I think it's very commonplace. You know, we, we hear about the exceptions in the news. You know, the vast, vast majority of corporations and credit unions and, you know, not-for-profits do it the right way. We hear about the exceptions because they are the exceptions and they're newsworthy. But as I said, thousands and thousands of groups do it the right way. They don't engage in unethical conduct. And when they find that uh, some employees are looking for advantage in unethical ways, they, you know, they reprimand and they put a stop to it, which is, you know, you're never going to get rid of it. Hmm. Uh, people will find a way to, uh, if, if they're bent and determined and they're going to try to defraud the organization or clients or whatever, they'll find a way to do it. Hopefully we have the policies and procedures that are going to ferret out those wrongdoers and deal with them appropriately. Well, that's uh, good information. And I think, as you said, a lot of people practice that, but it's good for uh, that to be heard. The other question I wanted to ask you was dealing with objectivity. 
and compromises to objectivity in relation to decision making. That isn't that kind of linked to ethics too. Well, it, it can be. It certainly okay. can be. What we're really talking about there is the independence of, of decision making at the board. This all goes to a board's role around decision making and how decision making can become compromised. Yeah. And where we get a little lackadaisical. Yeah. So what happens is over time, without term limits or ways to move people off the board, friendships, relationships develop. Mm. We also talk about interlocks, directors who sit on different boards together. Again, relationships develop. And what it does is it breaks down the objectivity of decision making. It is not as robust as a decision making process. You and I sit on a board together for 10 years. We become friends. You invite me to sit on another board that you're involved with. We have that interlock now. And it's very clear, the research suggests that good governance practices, because we have these interlocks, go from one board to the other, but so do poor governance practices. And you can always depend on my vote on motions that you put to the board, and likewise, I can depend on your vote. We tend to vote together because of those friendships and relationships that develop over time. They may not be, uh, in, in terms of, we didn't go out to establish that and, and make that right. happen, but there's a socialization process right. that takes place sort of over time. Sort of a little bit of human nature. How do we break that sort of cycle to create independency and better objectivity? What is the process? I mean, move it people could be, off the board. Okay, that's it. You know, that's, that's the people have to respect. You know, in the UK, after 12 years, you lose your status as an independent director. So you're independent, you're not part of management. But after 12 years, they're saying, listen, you've been around long enough. Relationships do develop, a socialization process does take place. You're no longer independent. You can stay on the board, but you probably shouldn't. And from a management and, and, and productive point of view, you can't sit on the audit committee because you have to be independent and you're no longer independent. You can't sit on the compensation committee for the same reason. You shouldn't sit on the governance and nominations committee either. So it's it's a way of moving people off the board without imposing hard term limits. Some people have problems with term limits. I've been on the board for 12 years. I still have lots to give. Well, that's fair. But on balance, on balance, I think it's still... Whether it's term limits or whether it's another mechanism to, to rejuvenate that board, to move people off the board after a certain period of time, the average tenure for a credit union director right now is approaching 20 years. Is that too long? Many would suggest that it is. Very interesting, very insightful. Thank you for the conversation. Rick, I appreciate your time being part of the Q's podcast. James, nice thank to be you. With you. Thanks again for listening. If you have not yet subscribed to the Q's podcast, I encourage you to do so. The great benefit of subscribing to the podcast is that all episodes will be automatically downloaded to you. So that means you'll never miss a single episode. You can subscribe to the Q's podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, and iTunes. Also, if you have the chance to leave us a rating and comment regarding the podcast, that would be great. That gesture will help us get the word out to even more dedicated credit union professionals like you. And don't forget to spread the news about the podcast with your colleagues. For more talent development content from Q's, visit cues.org now. If you are a Q's member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development. Visit cues.org slash membership to learn more. Cues is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Cues can help you realize your potential, visit cues.org today.